You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter. Go to assemblycall.com slash join today and sign up for free. That's assemblycall.com slash join. This week's edition of the Assembly Call is brought to you by SeatGeek. As you know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have SeatGeek on my phone. I've used it several times in the last year. I used it when Yogi Ferrell was playing for the Mavericks and went to see a couple of games. Used it to buy my wife tickets to a concert, so I can personally vouch for it. I use it. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats to any event that I want to go to. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and help you find amazing deals. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is episode number 43 of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 335th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, September 7th, 2017. I am your host, Jared Morris. Remember that if you can't catch one of our shows live on our YouTube channel, you can always catch up with our podcast, which is available everywhere. Just search for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts, and you will find us. Alrighty, well, let's begin this week how we begin every show, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And, you know, this was about as slow a week for IU basketball news as we've had all offseason. And in one sense, that is kind of its own banner moment because most of the things that might have made news this week would have been something bad, an arrest, an injury, a defection, <coughs> a high-profile pro- high commit to another program. Fortunately, none of those happened. As always, we will take it. Uh, but there was one moment that I thought was particularly encouraging, uh, and that was on Wednesday when Cliff Marshall tweeted out a picture of a handful of Hoosiers lounging in a hot tub after a hard workout, and it included the caption, work hard, recover hard. Okay, so what, you may be thinking? Well, I believe that the emphasis on recovery is a smart one because over the past few years, I recall seeing many off-season videos in which players are working hard, you know, lifting weights, pounding around in the sand pit, running stairs, but I don't recall as equal and emphatic an emphasis on recovery, at least in what we saw publicly, and taking recovery seriously is just as important, if not more important, than taking the actual workouts themselves seriously. So hopefully this leads to a team that is in much better condition physically and mentally to deal with the rigors of the long college basketball season, especially with the challenging schedule that Indiana has coming up this season. And among the many things I'm going to be enthralled watching during the Archie Miller era is how effective Indiana's new philosophy for strength and conditioning is led by Cliff Marshall. Because as you well remember, outside of a couple glorious seasons, one major trend of the Tom Crean era was fast starts, followed by slow, weak finishes. I expect that to change under Archie Miller, and I believe Indiana's more organized, forward-thinking approach to strength and conditioning will be a major reason why. Alrighty, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Unfortunately, Ryan Phillips will not be with us this week, and frankly, that stinks, because Ryan is a decorated sports reporter, a knowledgeable basketball observer, and a gregarious man with endearing self-confidence and a smile that says, hey, life is good in San Diego, come join me. 
There's just nothing bad, really, that you can say about him. So Ryan's absence on the show will certainly be felt. We look forward to his return next week, as do you, I'm sure. Uh, with that said, we do have an extra special guest taking Ryan's place this week, who I can't wait to introduce to you. First, though, allow me to introduce a man you know well. Like Ryan, he's my co-host on the Assembly Call IU postgame show. And like Ryan, he's also a great guy, a decorated bracketologist and a knowledgeable basketball observer. But unlike Ryan, he's a patient conversationalist and not nearly so willing to interrupt any conversation at any time, which is why he's the fan favorite. Well, that and his smile that says, hey, you know, life is pretty all right here in Cincinnati if you ignore our professional baseball team. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the past week in IU basketball? Well, I think, you know, one of the big things, you know, Ryan joked that I needed to be away last week because the uh, basketball preview magazines were coming out, which is patently false because uh, I did not buy one until over the weekend, which was after the show was recorded uh, and have bought the only one that I have found thus far. But, uh, you know, I guess my my point in bringing that up is that uh, that one of those magazines, the Lindy's preview, which has not been uh, released yet and I have often found to be a little bit uh, questionable in some of the selections and predictions has IU picked 12th apparently uh, so when that uh, fine publication hits newsstands the uh, the nobody believes in us uh, storyline can begin for IU and I think that's something that uh, I have a feeling that Archie Miller will probably try to try to play into a little bit uh, obviously I don't think the guys are going to get too hung up on a uh, preview magazine and while you could certainly argue that IU is probably not a team that deserves to be among the top four uh, maybe even the top five projected teams in the league uh, I would say that in the bottom three, uh, I assume just outside of Rutgers and Nebraska, is probably a little low uh, in my estimation. And certainly in the estimation of, of the fans who uh, I think are really excited about what the season has to offer and, and ready uh, for it to get started. And so we've got game times uh, to discuss a little bit as the schedule has, uh, has taken shape. But the, uh, the official, you know, nobody believes in us uh, story and the first amount of uh, bulletin, board, bulletin board material has, uh, has now been found for this season. Yes, it has. All righty, and to my right, our special guest on this week's show, he is one of the most loyal and passionate and genuinely curious fans of Indiana athletics that you will find anywhere. He also runs a must-follow Twitter account for any IU fan. The Twitter account is at IU Artifacts, and he writes an article series for us at the Assembly Call by the same name. He is Chris Williams, and we're so pleased to have him with us on this week's episode. Chris, I know that you have several rare and interesting IU basketball artifacts to go through with us on the show. But before we get to that, let's just open with kind of your thoughts on the current state of the basketball program. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I, I am not as anxious or nervous about this season as I have been in the past with the beginning of a new era. And that's a comforting feeling. Um, you know, I think back to where we were with Mike Davis coming in as kind of the unproven head coach and following the footsteps of coach Knight. And, um, I remember, you know, we all remember the, the travesty that there was the Samson era and coming in with the NCAA investigation looming over that. And, you know, with Crean coming in, we, we wanted to forget everything about what happened with Samson. And yet we, you know, at least in my mind, I still had some uncertainty about his capabilities. Um, you know, he, he came in, but he told us what we had to hear, what we needed to hear at that time. And I think that was comforting to everybody. But, you know, the roller coasters kind of took a toll on everybody. And when Archie came in and uh, said what needed to be said, but it wasn't to the point where it was overdone and it wasn't flashy. I think that, you know, that with, you know, as, as we've seen with the recruits, um, showing that he can, you know, regain control and a foothold in the state of Indiana, I think that. Uh, to me, I'm looking forward to, especially as a season ticket holder, looking forward to going to games that have purpose, going to games that, uh, as Archie says, will prepare the team for the tournament and not just be fillers and not just be writing a paycheck that's going to leave town. So uh, to me, I'm I'm excited for it. And, and I, I, you know, uh, I think we're all just kind of ready for basketball to start tomorrow. Amen to that. Absolutely. All righty. Well, here is what we are going to discuss this week. We're going to quickly hit the news that the NCAA is reconsidering the transfer rule, which is interesting, as well as a few quick highlights from the tip times that were released on Wednesday. Uh, and then Chris is going to take us through some of his rare and unusual items that he has in his collection. We did this last off season; It was a hit. We loved it. So that's why we're doing it again now. Uh, and then we'll just kind of see what we have time for after that. That'll probably fill up the show. Uh, all of that coming on this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. Real quick, uh, a word about this week's sponsor for Assembly Call Radio, which is SeatGeek. 
Remember that when you need tickets to a sporting event or a concert or most any other live event, check SeatGeek first to ensure that you get the best deal. Their app and website are easy to use, and the color-coded Deal Raider makes it easy to see which tickets are delivering the best value at any given time. Now, here are the two URLs to keep handy, which will make buying IU basketball and IU football tickets easy. IUBBtickets.shop and IUFBtickets.shop. IUBBtickets.shop will take you directly to the IU basketball listing on SeatGeek, and IUFBtickets.shop will take you directly to the IU football listing on SeatGeek. Use these URLs to find the best prices on IU basketball and football tickets, and since those are our affiliate URLs, when you use them to browse tickets at SeatGeek, we actually get a commission whenever a purchase is made. So in other words, you get a great deal on IU tickets. Another passionate IU fan will be in the stands to cheer on our Hoosiers and you help support the assembly call. A win-win-win. Again, those URLs are iubbtickets.shop and iufbtickets.shop. And if it's your first time using SeatGeek, don't forget the promo code assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. Use it when you make your first purchase, and you will get $20 back after that purchase. Again, the promo code is assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. Alrighty, you are listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest, Chris Williams, the man behind the IU Artifacts Twitter account. And before Chris regales us with the interesting items and the stories behind them that he has, I want to get your guys' thoughts real quick on the one big story that came out this week. So as was reported by Andrew Slater of 24-7 Sports, the NCAA is considering changing the transfer rules to allow transfers the ability to play immediately without sitting out a year. Now, Archie Miller was actually quoted on this in a piece by Evan Daniels explaining how coaches across the country are against the rule change. Archie said this, it would turn into one of the dirtiest recruiting periods that you've ever seen. You'll have guys talking to your players when they are in your gym. Coaches will recruit players right after games, and now you can go directly to the source. It would cripple teams and programs. And... You know, I understand what Archie is saying, and I definitely think that such a rule change would make life a lot more difficult on coaches, at least in the beginning. But to me, that doesn't strike me as a reason to not move forward with such a change because it seems like it would actually be in the best interest of the players. And remember that athletes in Division One sports other than football and basketball can already transfer without having to sit out a year. So I recognize the difficulty that this would bring and some of the changes it would bring, but I think it would actually be a good thing because it's – in the best interest of the players. Andy, what are your thoughts quickly on this? Yeah, I thought a couple of interesting <laughs> articles for people to, to link to uh, Jay Billis wrote one on ESPN that basically, you know, kind of talked about the, the hypocrisy of calling them student athletes and, and alluded to, and got into a lot more detail about what you said of if they're really students, then in no other facet of, of the academic experience uh, are, are students not allowed to, to transfer whether they're athletes or not. Uh, and then Gary Parrish had an interesting one um, that I saw that I just read this evening that, you know, again, kind of talked about the same thing that, you know, if a coach had the opportunity to leave, he would leave. Um, and while the concerns are valid uh, in terms of, you know, low and mid-major programs losing players to upper echelons, isn't aren't those opportunities really in the best interest of the student athlete as well? That if I was good enough to get recruited somewhere or, or I wasn't good enough to get recruited at a program that I really wanted to go to in a major conference, played well enough someplace else and then was given that opportunity again if the you know if the center of this is really about um you know creating those kinds of opportunities for the athletes um then you wouldn't stand in the way of it the reason that you'd stand in the way of it is if is you know you layer in the monetary component um and all those things from a coaching perspective where you know as a coach all of a sudden i'm losing my players and having a lot of turnover year over year um that wouldn't really impact a place like indiana um uh, would certainly impact a lot more you know, the, of those low and mid-major type schools. So I think it's interesting they're looking at it. It sounds like there's a long way to go before they actually, um, you know, make any changes. There's been uh, talk of, you know, academic components to it as well, where, you know, you'd have to be at a certain level of academic standing to be able to do it and things like that. So I feel like we're uh, a long way off from doing it. It's obviously something that the coaches are not going to like because it makes their jobs a little bit more difficult uh, and maybe a lot more difficult in some cases. But um it, it does certainly expose some of the, uh, you know, inequities of, of how these students are treated uh, compared to others. And, and I know there's obviously things that they get from an educational and a, a facility standpoint that others do not. But, uh, you know, certainly just brings some of those debates to light again and is really just another, you know, kind of brick in the in the wall of that conversation. Yeah, you know, the uh, the only other real big uh, Indiana news that came out this week was that the tip times and the TV schedule was announced for the majority of games. Uh, just a couple quick highlights there. 
the exhibition game and the first game versus Indiana State will be on BTN Plus, so you will need that BTN Plus account uh, for at least a month uh, to get those games. Uh, it was music to our ears that there are only three 9 o'clock Eastern tips. One of those is actually a 9.30 tip for the Duke game, so that is nice. Uh, there are seven 8 o'clock Eastern tips, and then between 7 and 8, 7 o'clock Eastern tips. Uh, but you can go, if you go to insidethehole.com, they have the complete rundown uh, of the schedule with all the tip times, which is one of my favorite times of the year because I love filling out my can- uh, calendar uh, and seeing when the games are. So that is all ready to go, and there are only, I think, a, a few games. Like I think the Seton Hall game hasn't been set, but other than that, I believe uh, they're all set. All right, coming up on the assembly call, uh, Chris is going to take over as it is time to go through some historic IU artifacts. Uh, He's got a bunch lined up for us. We're going to hear the stories behind them all. We will do that right here on the Assembly Call. Coming up next. You're listening to the Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest, Chris Williams, a.k.a. at IU Artifacts on Twitter. And Chris, it is time to turn the show over to you, which I am very excited to do because you have some amazing artifacts to share with us. Uh, real quick, before we get to the first one, do you want to just quickly kind of explain you know, who you are, your background, what you do, uh, and, 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 and why you have such a vast collection of IU artifacts? Yeah, why well, I'm crazy is another word to say it too. Uh, so I teach here in Bloomington. Uh, I grew up in Bloomington, went to IU. Um, always been a history guy. I always liked knowing about and researching the history of the university and the history of the IU basketball program and um, been going to games until since I was a kid at Assembly Hall. So it's one of those things where I just kind of got drawn to uh, keeping relics from going to the games. And when I got out of, uh, out of college is when I started really kind of getting serious about wanting to collect things to preserve them and and research them and find its significance and, and be able to kind of um, explain it to other people. It's something that's interesting. And that's why the, the Twitter account was something that I kind of created on a whim. I didn't know if it would even be something that would be interesting. And it's become pretty, it's been fun. I try to do something every day, not just related to, to basketball, basketball, excuse me, but also football, baseball track, a little bit of everything, but just kind of explaining a lot of the unknown history about that time period that the, the item relates to is something that's interesting because um, we, there's such a diverse history with all Indiana University sports, but especially with basketball, that just makes it so interesting. So yeah, no, and it's it's great what you do. I mean, it, it makes being an IU basketball fan a more rich experience to be able to you know color in the history with uh, with what you provide. So we're excited to to do this episode. So let's start with your first item, and I believe the one that you're going to do first. You texted me last week excited about a new find that you had and i believe that's what you're going to lead us off with right yeah so last last year one of the first things i wrote an article about was this envelope that uh a gentleman in indianapolis sent to uh the athletic department and asked to be signed and as you can see it's signed by coach mccracken it's a period signature with players from the 1940 and 41 team it's been decorated i love the design on it and by and, the way, um, if you're listening yeah. on the podcast or on the radio, obviously you want to see these items. You can go watch the video of this broadcast. Go to our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash assembly call. We'll take you right there. And it's uh, assembly call radio episode 43. Um, so just, I just want to mention that for people who want to see the items. Um, the other key signature on here, uh, this item I got a few years ago that I wrote about is Zora Clevenger at the bottom, who was the athletic director briefly for IU, but he was also at one time, an IU basketball coach, but more importantly, he was the first All-American for football in 1903. He was an All-American. So getting this was pretty amazing. And one of the other memorable signatures is Bill Torfey on there, who IU did a really cool video presentation about called uh, Not Pictured about his being on the 1940 team, just not included in the official team photo after they won it. So a couple months ago, a buddy of mine had come into a pretty nice collection of memorabilia and lo and behold, I found it's pear. Uh, something that unbelievably they are the same thing. And when I got the original one, which was this one, I noticed that a lot of the key guys on the team were not on there. Bob Drow was not on there. Jay McCreary, Curly Armstrong, Bill Minky. And lo and behold, there was another one. So this is the one that has most of the other players. It's about 92% complete. And 
it, it would be impossible to get everybody. They had a lot of guys on that year that played that have been just played one game and that's all they recorded. And they, it may have been a temporary thing. Who knows? But uh, all the, all the four guys that were the returning starters from the previous season are on there. Uh, Herm Schaefer, Jay McCreary, Bob Drow, uh, Curly Armstrong's on there, all the key players. Uh, it has the freshman coach, Ernie Andrus, the assistant coach, Ralph Graham, and it even has the trainer Ferguson or Jesse Ferguson, who had been the trainer for a long time. And so pairing these together was something that, and again, I had no idea that the other one was out there, but it, it really makes for quite a story. And the fact that these are period signatures, meaning that they were signed at that time period, their time stamp, February 1941, is pretty remarkable. And to me, it's the oldest team item for IU basketball I've ever seen. And um, it's such a, an important era talking about these because – you're talking about the early years of, of Branch McCracken. You're talking about his third season, 1940 and 41. And an interesting stat about McCracken was in his first five seasons before he left to go serve in World War II, every single one of his teams finished second in the conference every year. Um, it's pretty remarkable because some of those years, they were only a game out of first place, and it was a lot of what-ifs. And the interesting thing about the 40 season is you might wonder, well, how would they have been able to play in the tournament Originally, you had to be uh, the champion of your conference tournament to get into the the NCAA tournament. Um, they had actually decided to pick Indiana over Purdue, which is a great thing in all regards. Always uh, the right choice. Always <laughs> the right exactly. choice. Uh, Purdue was 16-4 and four overall. Indiana was 17-3. and three, And we had beaten Purdue both times we played them that year. And so the NCAA, which had taken over the NCAA tournament, which we now know of for the very first time, Prior to this, it was controlled by the National Association of Basketball Coaches. They took over it, and they said, we want the better team. Indiana's team had led the conference in scoring. It was the highest scoring uh, average Indiana had ever had. This is when they really started the run-and-gun offense, the hurry and Hoosiers. This is where that comes from. And they went into the 18 tournament and ended up beating Kansas pretty much on their home floor. They were playing in Kansas City about 40 miles from Lawrence. So it ended up being uh, quite a worthwhile situation uh, for McCracken, but you have to think about the fact that, you know, those first five teams all finished second. And when he returns from the war years, which have been the 46, 47 season, he doesn't even win his first big 10 title until the 52, 53 season. So it's his 13th season at IU. And he only won four in Bloomington. It's kind of one of those, those stats you don't, you can't believe that he won two national titles, but yet only won four big 10 titles. Yeah. And they were all they were all in the 50s, 52, 53, 53, 54. And then the back to back years with RTDs, 56, 57, 57, 58. So the rest of, of the those, country is uh, lucky they didn't win it in 60 because that team might have gone on. And won it oh, all. yeah. Yeah. And we I remember we talked about that last time. We could do a whole episode about that team because it really was probably the best team that Branch had. But, uh, you know, a lot of the rules about, you know, you had to win your conference tournament. That really kind of. um you know, kept a lot of really good IU teams from being in. But but then again, they shot themselves in the foot in a lot of those seasons and not doing what they needed to do in the games they needed to do. So Also, hey, shout out to our longtime listener, Megan Mahaffey, a relation of Bill Torfey, who's on, on that envelope. Hey, real quick question. I mean, I noticed you're holding those envelopes, like, with your fingers. Do you store them in something special? Is that... Yeah. It's just in a top loader. Um, it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about it. They, they have some staining to them. And like with paper stuff, you got to watch it because the oil on your skin can't hurt it. But on a lot of stuff, I don't really try to worry about it because if if you can't enjoy it to some extent, there's no point in having it. I don't I don't keep things up or keep things locked away to where I only bring them out once a year. I like to look at them and I like to display stuff. I have stuff displayed in my house and 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 hopefully that will grow as well. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I love those items. Yeah. Okay, so right. what, we got it. We have a few minutes left for the segment, so let's go to another item. Okay, uh, I'm going to wait on one because it's a little bit longer item, but I'm going to bring up this this beauty right here. Um, oh my! It's a painted ball that they used to do this. It's kind of like a trophy ball, but it's not. 74-75 team. Um, they did this a lot in the 70s, into the 80s, where they would paint them. There's a lot of them out there because obviously the 74-75 season is to many the best team we had, even though they didn't win the title. And a lot of people might say, well, because they didn't win the title, 
they weren't that good. But, you know, we're talking about a team that had a 20-point margin of victory average in the Big Ten, which has never even been touched. I mean, they they destroyed teams in 75 in the Big Ten, and they didn't really do that in 76. They had a little bit more trouble. But everybody's on here, including all the coaches. And uh, it's a pretty remarkable thing. I'm trying to find one from 76, and re- surprisingly, they're out there. They're just – extremely expensive uh <laughs> but uh it's a great piece it's a period piece and what i mean by that again is that it was signed that season it's it's not something that was signed later and they decorated these balls and it's kind of interesting because it does say hurry and hoosiers and knights teams were never known for being running gun types of teams in in most cases so um who a lot the, with the key this. guys on the 75 team that weren't on the 76 team laz right uh john laskowski and steve green steve were the green. two yeah yeah steve green was a senior laskowski was a senior and, and laskowski came off the bench his nickname was super sub there's that sports illustrated cover with him on there that says super sub and given the fact you also had quinn buckner who was a three third year starter at guard because buckner's fre- freshman year 72 73 was when the ncaa had lifted the ban on freshman playing and one of the things a lot of people don't know is that Scott May was academically ineligible that season in 72, 73. So he didn't even get to play. And, um, you know, that season, obviously with May going down with the broken arm against Purdue, it kind of set the stage for, you know, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, you know, he tried to come back and play in the, in the regional final game that season against Kentucky played seven minutes, really couldn't get anything going, and, and Knight pulled him because he wasn't going to be effective out there. And if, if you've ever watched a replay of that 72 or that 75 game against Kentucky, uh, it's just a heartbreaker because it was a two-point loss. And, and so many people look back at that being the season that should have been the first of, of two titles. So Yeah, I mean, it's one of the ultimate what-ifs, not just in, at Indiana, but in college basketball. I mean, right. you could have had two undefeated national champions back to back, which yeah. would have been won- an unbelievable feat. Yeah, they won thirty-seven straight Big Ten tournament or Big Ten uh, conference games, which will never be touched again, in my opinion. So, yeah. So, real quick, we got about thirty seconds. I just want to squeeze this in real quick. And you and I sure. talked about this before. What is like your ultimate item that you're looking for? I'd love to find Branch McC- McCracken's jersey, and if it was ever found, I wouldn't feel right keeping it it would have to go and be presented in cook hall something like that that monumental but as we talked earlier it was most likely tossed they wore they wore the heck out of them um and the materials were just not gonna last that long so unfortunately it probably met its its uh match yeah all righty well stick with us because coming up we are going to talk about more items chris and you've got a bunch of stuff lined up there uh, Going to show us the items, tell us the stories. We're here with IU Artifacts on the Assembly Call. Stick with us. You are listening to the Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com slash join right now today to activate your free membership. You will get our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups delivered right to your inbox each Sunday morning. And that will help you stay up to date with your Hoosiers during the offseason and then even once the season begins. Again, the URL is assemblycall.com slash join. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms, my co-host on the Assembly Call IU postgame show. And we have a special guest this week, Chris Williams, the man behind the IU Artifacts Twitter account. He is showing us some of his most unique IU basketball artifacts and telling us the stories behind them. And again, if you want to see uh, the artifacts, if you're listening on the podcast or listening on the radio, go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assembly call. And this will be the most recent video up there, radio show episode number 43. And you can see all of the items uh, that Chris is showing us. Uh, Okay, Chris, with that said, let's uh, turn it back over to you and go with your, uh, your third item. All right, so... I wrote an article about this one, but we got to bring this one up because it's just too good not to mention. First of all, if they ever bring back a throwback jersey, I wish they would do this one. Um, this is the style that we see from 1970 to 1972. So the last season of Lou Watson and the first season of Bob Knight. This is a Steve Downing jersey that he wore the 70-71 season and the 71-72 season. So it kind of uh, carries over from one coaching generation or one coaching uh, era to another. And the story behind this is really good because this was found in a garage buried under a bunch of really old moldy t-shirts. And I think the only way it survived is because it was kind of wrapped like a cocoon inside those. Um, 
I really didn't know what to think when I found it. I, I, I it was kind of one of those where you, you have to kind of pinch yourself. Uh, and I couldn't even remember who the heck it was for a moment, which is embarrassing. Um, but <clears throat> you can't say enough about Downing, I think, to me, because, you know, he was one of those, one of the few really good players on that 72 team that stuck around, um, or excuse me, 70, 71 team. Uh, he went to Indianapolis, Washington with George McGinnis, obviously, who's one of the best players ever at IU. His his 29.9 average is still tops for a single season. Wait, those two they played down, high school ball together? Indianapolis, Washington, yep. Mercy. They were a pair coming down. Yeah, and it's amazing because it's kind of surprising that McGinnis even considered IU because they were terrible in the late 60s, just awful. I mean, the Watson era, besides the 67 Big Ten Championship, a co-championship, is really not that memorable, unfortunately. Um, the 60s, all in all, were not really good for basketball at IU. But they arrived here. It was really a one-man show uh, their freshman year. They had John Ritter on the team, who was good as well. But Downing really blossomed uh, when Knight came in 71-72. And Knight's arrival co- co- uh, coincided with Assembly Hall, or now Simon Scott Assembly Hall, opening officially in 1971. And the first game against Ball State, they were wearing these jerseys, which are the ones they had from the previous season. And the significance of that first game is that Downing set the single-game Assembly Hall record for rebounds with 26 in the game, wearing this jersey. Um, the other significant game that season was down at Freedom Hall against Kentucky. It was the first time that a night-coached Indiana team had, had played against Kentucky. They go to a neutral site um, against, uh, obviously, the Wildcats. And... Downing had hurt his knee in the previous game against Kansas, and he was not 100%, not even close. And the game went into double overtime, and he, I think he played just about every minute, if not every minute, on a bad knee and scored 47 points and had 25 rebounds. It's one of those single-game performances that you it's, – it's, it's like a legend is born kind of situation. And, and obviously, um, what's also interesting that season is the candy stripes arrived – uh, that season, which they don't go at all with these jerseys because they're more like a, a really dark maroon than a crimson. Uh, and then this was it. Um, after that, the red and white were introduced to kind of coincide with the candy stripes. And then the 72-73 season starts and finishes with a Final Four appearance. Really a surprising one uh, that season. And and Downing was an All-American that season. So great story finding it. Um there was a couple others I found that were with that that were from the '60s, but this is obviously the one that uh, is the is the is the cream of the crop. So, so, so for throwback jerseys, you would go with those over the, oh, the ones with the blue trim. <laughs> yeah, what, you know it's funny they weren't blue actually; they were black. Oh, was it black? Faded. Oh, I got I got a pair of shorts. I'll show you later. But yeah, they they were black and it, they're just hideous. And they're, the the shorts uh, remind might remind people of a of a certain NBA team, but. Uh, yeah, I would definitely go with this. They're just too simple and too cool yeah. uh, and just so unique because they only used them for two years. So, wow. yeah, very cool. What's next? All right. Well, we can't have a show without bringing up Tijon. <laughs> I think I think I think it's only appropriate that Tijon's been brought up. Yes. Um, and uh, so I'm just going to I can't I can't hold back anymore. Um, we got Tijon. <laughs> oh, my. They are a huge size 40 plus three inches in length um, from the his first season. So these are from... Those just look gigantic. Oh, they are huge. Uh, no one in their right, I mean, my right mind that uh, is any normal length can wear them. And it's just not even possible. Um, but they're too good not to not to bring up. And and I told Kronik Hoosier about these and he goes, you might as well just stop collecting because you're not going to top it. There's nothing that can, <laughs> that can even come close to something that neat. But... Uh, evidently they're starting to, to liquidate the early cream year stuff because I was able to get a hold of these and I thought they were Zellers at first, but I am easily pleased, just as pleased that they are Tijons. But, uh, like I said, we have to bring up Tijon in some way. Hey, let me ask you a question. When when you brought up Tijon, I assumed that it was going to be like a face mask from some, that somebody wore after he broke their nose in a practice. So I was surprised to see you pulled the shorts out. That was no. That was uh, surprising and and moderately disappointing at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you go about getting newer stuff? 
Like, like, do you try and identify, you know, like, obviously there's not probably a whole lot that you want to remember from last season, but, you know, maybe from, like, the 15 season or the 2013 season. Like, when you see a season like that, do you try and grab a bunch of stuff, hoping something, you know, is, like, valuable and memorable? Or, how, like, what's your strategy? My idea is, is I just want to try to get a little bit from all the eras, just try to have something that is like a, a, a database. That's the big thing with me with jerseys is I'm, I'm – I'm about preserving them and, and being able to identify them. And it's it's kind of gotten to the point where if I see a jersey laying across the room, if I see the tag, I could tell you exactly which year it was used and who wore it. It's gotten to that point. But with the newer stuff, it's a little bit difficult because they literally changed every single year the design in some way. Yeah. And that was really due to the fact that when you're you you have an agreement with Adidas, you get the best stuff and the newest technology. So, you know, ID and the new stuff, it's not about a value to me because there is none and, and I wouldn't want to go about it that way. It's just about trying to find something you need, something memorable from that season. If I found something like a pair of Zeller shorts from the 12-13 season or 14-15 season, it would be it would be pretty cool. But, um, you know, anyways. But, yeah, I, I like the recent stuff just to kind of keep the have as a, you know, a data database piece. Have you ever worn one of the jerseys? And public, never. Well, not not public, but I mean, oh, you know, yeah. just in, 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 a, in a private moment at home, you know, try on the, the IU number 32 jersey. And yeah. Steve Downing only, for a moment. No, because this still won't fit me uh, because they wore like gloves here. The only one that will fit me is a, I have a, a DJY jersey that I'll show you that wears like a dress on even me. And I'm, I'm a bigger guy. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It feels weird. You know, I I actually have a shooting shirt that I wore to a game a couple times and I'm kind of getting to the point where I even think that's a little excessive. So huh. it's more about just, you know, having them and enjoying them. And I guess parading every once in a while is OK. But other than that, I don't think I could do it. So. <laughs> All right. What do right. you got next? Uh, let's see here. So we're going to go a little bit farther back in time here. Um, we're going to go to the the teens. Not a great time for IU basketball. IU basketball is not going to be really good until Ever Dean arrives as coach and they get their first Big Ten title in the 20s. They cycle through so many coaches because it just wasn't a lucrative position to be a basketball coach in college. A lot of these guys had side jobs or they were coaching every sport. It wasn't uncommon for one guy to coach football, basketball, and baseball. But we have, to me, this is one of my favorite schedule pieces. It's a 1914 schedule book. And the cool thing about it is, is that the pages as you go through get smaller. And at the top, it tells you who they're playing and uh, when it's going to be in the location. And it's kind of like it, it just it shrinks in size. And you get to the point where your centerpiece is one of the stars of the team who happens to not be playing that season because of injury. But it's, it's a really cool piece because it has a lot of connection to Bloomington because on every page – are advertisements for a lot of these businesses that have been gone for 50, 60 years. Yeah. Um, are any of those businesses was, still there? Any of the businesses that are listed? I don't think any of them are. The only one that could have been was Williams Jewelry on the east side, but that closed a few years ago. And at the time, it was the oldest. It opened in 1911. But other than that, uh, every one of these, you know, it's and, and it's like cigar stores or, you know, clothing stores. And, and one of the things in here that's important is to see this gentleman right here. That's Arthur Cotton Burnt. He was the coach that season, and he had been really IU's first major star. He was a three-sports star at IU football, basketball, and baseball. He was also a two-time captain, and he basically was kept around because they're like, you're an athlete. Why don't you coach? And he didn't last very long simply because uh, it was uh, not a lucrative, lucrative position, and he just wasn't looking to stay around and be a coach for that long. So you have a lot of cycling at this time with coaches, but just a cool piece, very uh, well done as far as the design and it's very high quality and you just don't see that a lot with, with items today. So, yeah, very cool. All right. Uh, Andy's ready for the Ivan Renko Jersey. He wants to know when you're going to bust that out. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's one of the areas that I just, I just don't, I lack, you know, you know, everybody's looking for that elusive, you know, flight log of him arriving in Indianapolis airport. And, you know, the, you know, calling Ivan Rinko in the airport was the big joke at the time. So sorry to, to ruin one of your day. Underrated college basketball stories of all time. That is, that it is. is. It's, and, and, and Knight story. got everybody so good. I mean, he went out to prove that the whole recruiting thing was, was not, not what he wanted it to be. And, or he probably had his personal reasons against it, but 
it proved it was it was genius. It really was because they just took the bait like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the ticket stubs I want to show is really significant. Last time I was on here, we had the program, and I have been able to find the ticket for it. So I'm sure you guys can figure out the significance. Hang on, what's the date? I can't I'm see sorry. The, I can't see the year. 19, January 27, 1962, Indiana versus Minnesota. Is that Jimmy Rail? Jimmy Rail. So we got the first of his two 56-point attempts nice. or 56-point games back-to-back. Um, it, you know, thinking about what he would have done with a three-point line, thinking about um, being a one-man team at that point really in the early 60s and uh, – it's pretty amazing to think about a, a scrawny guy from from northern Indiana could could be that sharp as a shooter, but he really was. And, and unfortunately, he doesn't have the record anymore. Two Purdue guys, and again, you know, it has to be Purdue. Two Purdue guys are atop the uh, the Big Ten all time single game scoring list. One of them was Rick Mount at the time, but um, quite a unique uh, piece, and was actually really easier to come by than I thought it would be. Wow, so very cool. All right. So I mentioned the shorts. Ah, uh, yes. I mentioned these weird design shorts. Whoa. Whoa. A lot of people are saying those look like vintage Chicago, Chicago Bulls. Bulls. Yeah. Exactly. So we have the black trim inside the red trim with the white. It's just a mixed bag. It's all over the place. The significance of this is, first of all, uh, the teams that wore these were terrible. This is 60, 68, 69. I'm not going to hold anything back. It was just a, it was a bad time. And the because they were was uncomfortable like, running around in those shorts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. OG would be, he would be snug as a bug and a rug in these. So, uh, the significance on the side here is that we have an IU logo of any kind for the first time on the shorts. So we just have a single block eye. The pitchfork hadn't arrived on the shorts. Everything before that would have been pretty basic, pretty standard, um, and they wore these for two seasons, 60, 68, 69, 69, 70. And what's interesting is you can find photos of McGinnis when he arrived on campus wearing these shorts for just photo promos because they never wore them in the games. They were just wearing them, him and Downing. Hey, these are the two big shots on campus. We got to get them in IU jerseys to, to make for publicity photos. So, uh, the black trim is still a mystery to me and, and it's, it's kind of a wild design, you know, to look at as well, but it was the late '60s, so that could have had something to do with it. But it was a really bad time. The teams were just not good. Um, you know, following Watson's '67 championship, Big Ten championship, not really much was done. Even the the '71, '70 or '70, '70, '70, '71 season with McGinnis was a, a, a modest 17 and seven, and by the end of the season they were ready to show Watson the door for a number of different reasons. So, All right, you're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Chris Williams going through some fun, interesting IU artifacts. Chris, let's do one more uh, before we take a break. All right. Um, so I want to do one quick one schedule-wise. This is probably my area that I enjoy the most is schedules. So we have a really cool 1930-1931 schedule. And the sign- the cool thing about this is, as you can see in the background, it's kind of hard to see because of the light, but we have uh, a scene from a basketball game. Yeah. And the important thing is, is to look under the Shield logo and see the fence. It's kind of hard to see, but there's a fence yeah. there. So what happened originally at the uh, what is now the Wildermuth, which was known as the Fieldhouse, is that they had a fence around the floor because it was elevated. And obviously the fence was done to prevent players from sliding off the floor and, and falling off the floor and getting injured. Uh, and they only had that for a number of years because even with the fences up, there are reports of people still tumbling over the the fence to dive for balls and coming up injured. And one of the things that I, I read in some newspaper articles is that the opposing coaches were complaining about the safety of the, the floor. And so those were quickly eliminated and the floor was brought back to a reasonable level, uh, but early uh, or kind of in the middle of the Everett Dean era, uh, Dean would be gone by the end of the 30s. He would be out to Stanford. And as we know, uh, Dean would win a national title with Stanford in 1942. But uh, just the cool, the logo, I've always loved that Shield logo. Yeah, it's that's really kind of cool. been retired. But, uh, and, and schedules have all, always kind of been my, my interest because they have, they're just so ornate in so many ways. And 
and have a, a lot of design to it. They're just really cool. All right. Well, glad to see that 90 years later, they still haven't figured out how to keep people from falling off the court in Minnesota. So well done, everybody. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All righty. Uh, stick with us. Coming up in our final segment, we've got many more items. Uh, Chris has promised something from our favorite era of IU basketball, mine and Andy's anyway, 92-93. We'll hit that up in our final segment. Stick with us. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest this week, Chris Williams, the man behind the IU Artifacts Twitter account. And Chris has been regaling us with stories of these incredible items that he has in his collection. And so we've got a few minutes left here in this week's show. And uh, and Chris has a few more items that he wants to share with us. Chris, what do you have for us next? All right. I hate to keep you guys on the limb so long about early 90s, but, you know, we'll have to talk about these bad boys right here. Oh, my. So, Matt Nova shoes, 92-93. Ricky Rowe. Size eight. Ricky Rowe, size 18. The uh, the old Adidas Artilleries. Uh, this thing's Heavy huge. game worn. Yeah, 18s. They're, they're not to be trifled with, that's for sure. No. Um, they're heavily worn. Uh, game, I photo matched them to the, to the Big Ten season and to the tournament. So, um, you know, it, you don't find a lot of these from the early 90s because the soles, when they wear out, they just kind of crumble. They just kind of just disintegrate so the fact that these are, are intact is pretty unique yeah uh i have a pair of cheneys somewhere but i can't find them otherwise i would have grabbed those too sorry to oh man first of all on that. you're wearing yeah. them right now aren't you yeah i yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like I, the nova thing is cool for me because he's from chesterton indiana and i lived there uh first three years i was i was alive so we lived in the region up there so i always kind of like that story but um he also didn't miss know, many I, shots in those shoes no he did not um you know i you know, we were talking earlier about 74, 75 being a what if. And I think for our generation, the 92, 93 was definitely the what if. And, you know, there was it, the amazing thing about that is that we weren't even preseason ranked number one that year. I think that Michigan, you know, Fab Five were and I think it was Michigan, Kansas and UNC were all ranked ahead of us that season, which says a lot about how good college basketball was that season. It was loaded. It was loaded. Um but, you know, that 92-93 season, you know, and we obviously have to tip our hats to the short-lived Malcolm Sims experience. Um, you know, still looking for that elusive Malcolm Sims signature. I mean, no, anyways. I have but, a Malcolm Sims basketball card back here in my oh, set of 92-93 cards. <laughs> <laughs> I do as well. But, uh, you know, you had the, the veteran team. You had sophomore Alan Henderson kind of exploding as the man in down low, you had obviously Cheney, his record year with breaking the Big Ten record and and scoring all time, which is not going to be touched. I think we can all agree on that just because of the, the time we live in. But it was just such a good team and so deep in guard and forward play. And yet, you know, we, we go to that faithful day. I can you know, I keep thinking about it. Friday, February 19th, 1993. I was in school. I get picked up from school. And we're listening to the radio and the news broke that Alan Henderson had hurt his knee in practice. And it was just devastating. It was like uh, a bomb had dropped in Bloomington and, and the, yeah. the mood had quickly dissipated because not only were we were, were we struggling to possibly win a national title. One of the things we had tried to do was win every big 10 game. You know, we finished 17 and one that season. We lose at Ohio state, I think by four or something like that. It's just some, it's a real close game, but yeah. You know, it, it proved in the tournament that we just didn't have the depth down low. I mean, Nova was an under, undersized forward. You know, Henderson was our man inside. He could jump. He could rebound. He could block. He could score. And unfortunately, Todd Lindemann just had not become the important role player that we needed him to be at that point. And we were just – we weren't going to – We I just didn't think it was going to be possible. And I, I – you know, looking back and this, it's just – it's just the what ifs, you know, it's, it's the Henderson knee. It's the, the, the Scott may broken arm and you can go in so many different ways. I know Terry Hutchins book that he wrote about missing banners just kind of chronicles all that. But yeah. for, for our generation, that 92, 93 season hurt because we had to deal with what happened in Minneapolis the year before and to have it happen again and just crush it. It, it was hard because it really wasn't the same after that. Uh, the 93, 94 team, um, had Damon was back and I have to uh, give props or shout out to Brian's brother-in-law, Ross Hales, who was on the 93, 94 team. Uh, uh, 
but it, it just wasn't the same. It, you know, we get in the mid nineties and, and we're seeing fewer and fewer guys from Indiana. I think the 95, 94, 95 team, when Wilk, or when Sharon Wilkerson was dismissed, only had one guy left on the team from Indiana. That was Brian Evans. Yeah. And then it was just kind of writing was on the wall that things weren't the same for IU basketball. And I think a lot of it happened with that 92, 93 season, just not, not, not happening for us. So yeah. it was heartbreaking. So, well, pour one out for the 92, 93 team. We've, we've done it often sure. on this show. Somehow it always sure. comes back to 90. I, I feel like that's why we do this show. We're still trying to like somehow get that 92, 93 championship back. Yeah. You and know. you know, and, and winning the big 10 titles, helped during Crean's era because we could finally stop talking about it being 20 years, 19 years since it ha- happened. But it, it just wasn't the same because that team was unlike anything in our generation that we had would seen just the cohesion of the team and how well it played. In that season, like Indiana was the center of the college basketball universe. You had Nick Nolte yeah. like coming to games, you know, getting ready for blue chips. I mean, it was just a really yeah. fascinating year yeah basketball like it just it felt like winning the championship was just how this year was supposed to end you know right at least to it was hard old me it did no i agree me too all right we got about 30 seconds left do you have something yep. else to show us real quick real quick we'll, we'll finish off with branch mccracken's final home game this is indiana versus minnesota uh 1930 uh not a very good season for the hoosiers branch leaves indiana as their all-time leading scorer uh, really revolutionizes the center position. And most people don't know he's inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame, as a player first in 1960 and not a coach. And it's something that uh, he was a stud. So it's one of those we have to kind of remember. Yep, absolutely. All righty. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live simulcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. You can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to activate your free Assembly Call membership. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years older to purchase player client. Some people just know there's a better way to do things. Like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.